Hi, friends. It's Randy and Jess, and we're going to cut the bullshit. And let's get into women's mental health. Welcome to the Women's Mental Health Podcast with Randy and Jess, two licensed psychotherapists, where we talk about women's mental health, well-being, and strategies for coping with life's challenges and how it's all normal. Yes. In today's episode, we are going to explain and explore rejection sensitivity dysphoria, also known as RSD, and discuss practical tips and strategies for managing overwhelming emotions and improving your quality of life. We do want to note that RSD, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, it's one of those, I'm going to air quote, things that is not diagnosable. It is not always recognized by doctors and clinicians, but it is a real thing. Right. It's fairly new to the mental health field. They're still doing a lot of scientific research on it. So we'll be hearing more and more about it, but it's good to be aware of it, but understand it is not diagnosable at the time. Not yet. We hope in the future. We do. We do. So listen in as we validate your feelings and find us and more resources on randyandjesspodcast.com. So have you ever had these thoughts? I am so terrified that a person will respond confrontationally. So I just end up ghosting the person. Why do I feel such intense feelings of shame, guilt, rejection ahead of time or during? Right. People have said that I take things too personally or I'm too sensitive. You're highly sensitive. (laughs) You're dramatic. Dramatic. (laughs) I feel like my partner is mad at me all the time, especially if he responds to me in a neutral tone. Oh, yeah. that Like no emotion, not giving anything back. And I'm just like, what's happening? Something's wrong. (laughs) Right. I can't stop thinking about how I accidentally insulted my friend and now I can't let it go. Yeah, just who who else like replays like conversations over and over and over again in their head thinking maybe did I say something wrong? Did I offend somebody? Did I do something wrong? And like really they probably like didn't even notice anything that you right? said. Right. They didn't. Uh, you know, criticism literally ruins my day. Yeah, can send you into tailspin. Right. So, you know, in grad school, we had this teacher we called her Dr. Brain, right? Mm. She she was all about brains and, yeah. and the way they function. And I believe she was part of LGBT. Okay. And uh, we were sitting there. She said something about, was talking about being on the fence. I mean, to this day, I still replay that moment. And I made a comment about her being on the fence. And it came across as outing her or something. Oh. And I felt horrible. You didn't mean it that way, but then you were thinking like, what if she perceived it that way? And like, hey, okay, we're going to age ourselves too. When Jess was in grad school, this is before it was cool to talk about this stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It wasn't as, people weren't as sensitive or as open as having these conversations. And so I felt so horrible and I went and talked to her about it because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. It came out wrong. And she kind of laughed at me and was like, yeah, it came out wrong. You're fine. You're fine. Mm -hmm. Right? To this day, though, that still still plays in my head. On a loop. On a loop. And this is now like 15, (laughs) 20 years later that I'm like, I can't believe I said that in front of the whole class. I'm so, I feel so bad for, And that's what rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria can be. So let's explain it a little bit 
deeper. So rejection sensitivity dysphoria is a condition characterized by intense emotions and fears and worry of rejection and amplified emotional response to perceived or real criticism and rejection. And it doesn't have to be real. And right. it doesn't have to You just be... have to think that maybe this could possibly might one day... <laughs> Someday could, I don't know, maybe happen. I don't think, you know, Dr. Brain is sitting there thinking about that one kid no. in class who, you know, said something stupid. Right. So, but I do. So the word dysphoria, because that's a word that like, it's not, it, it comes from the ancient Greek word that describes a strong and overwhelming feeling of pain and discomfort. And that's what a lot of people that have RSD kind of explain it as, that it's like this intense, white hot, stabbing, gotta get it off of my chest right in the moment almost like a wound that's festering. Like this panicky thing. Mm -hmm. I do, again, want to say this is not a DSM diagnosis. The DSM right. is the therapist and psychiatry Bible kind of thing. Right. Like the way that you diagnose what is recognized by other mental health and medical professions as being treatable. And so this is not in there yet. This kind of goes, it, it feels sort of hippy-dippy sometimes, it goes with the highly sensitive person kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But this is more of a recent, the HSP highly sensitive person was, oh, what, 70s? Mm -hmm. And then I think this one is... I mean, really, truly, this was not talked about in grad school. This is a recent thing. Yeah, so I would say like more so in the last five years, we're hearing a lot more conversation about this. And because it is often linked with ADHD and other neurodivergent diagnoses like autism, and so it really has to do with things surrounding the brain and the brain structure. That's what we're finding. And what they're discovering is that the difference is that your brain can't regulate rejection related emotions and behaviors. Mm -hmm. So it makes it much more intense. And so what I teach or emphasize with my clients is the need to move beyond the shame and explore the potential for their strength and growth, right? Right. It doesn't need to be a negative thing. You can look at it as understanding yourself on a deeper level. Let's go through understanding what RSD is, because a lot of people are like, wait, what is RSD? Right. What is this? So let's go through some of the traits and behaviors. When you have RSD, it's very easy to feel embarrassed or self-conscious of your behavior. Behavior. A lot of time you can have low self-esteem or you have a hard time believing in yourself that you can do things on your own. Trouble containing emotions, you feel rejected. This is often in like kids and like teenagers, like mm -hmm. the outbursts. Right. Sometimes people will respond with rage or anger. Sometimes people will burst into tears. Just so you know, if you cry when you're mad, that's okay. I cry when I get mad. I get yeah. pissed and I'll start crying. And then I'm right. mad that I'm crying. <laughs> Because now I'm like, great, now I'm crying right. and I'm mad, even more mad. Yeah. But, you know, that part of what happens with it, too. And some people don't lose control of their feelings. They turn their feelings inwards. And that can look like depression or a mood shift, an emotional shift, and kind of like what you might see with bipolar or borderline personality disorder. But with those, it can be like a gradual shift. And with this, with RSD, it is usually instantaneous and only lasts for a couple minutes to a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're people pleasers. 
And the reason they're people pleasers is because they really want to avoid disapproval of other people. We don't want to disappoint. We don't want to upset. And if we make everything perfect, there is no commotion. There is no conflict. What is the word I'm thinking of? People who are alcoholics, children of alcoholics typically become... Like you were saying, people pleasers. People pleasers. But... What is it? Oh my God, I can't think of the word right now. It'll pop into me later. Okay. Compensating for a fear Mm -hmm. or a perceived fear or worrying that you're going to fail or being rejected. So a lot of times when you have RSD, you strive for perfection. You're hypervigilant about wanting to be perfect and crossing all your I's and or crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's. And you can also avoid things like social situations, projects, tasks, goals because you worry that if you even try to attempt it, you could fail at it. And a lot of times you're holding yourself back from success because you're so scared of failure. And so that is the downside of having RSD and how it can block you from living your life in a way. Codependent. Sorry, I knew it would come to me. (laughs) Codependent. Yeah. So it is the people pleasers. It's very similar to like people who are codependent. Yes. Because they're just really trying to make other people happy to avoid all of that. Okay. Sorry. That was just boop. Squirrel. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about how do we shift from the shame? Oh, that shame, right? Mm -hmm. Going from shame to maybe understanding more so what this is. Yeah. So when you can understand how your emotions affect you on such an intense level with RSD, you can have more understanding for yourself, more empathy for yourself, more self-compassion, more self-awareness. And then you're able to, what we like to call in therapy, reframe Mm -hmm. uh, and reframe your perspective. So what does that look like, Jess? Reframing, we do that with CBT, Mm -hmm. would be taking a look at it instead of saying, God, I suck that I was late. Right. Right. Just saying, it's okay that I was late. It's not the end of the world and we're going to be okay, mm-hmm. right? It is being able to look at a situation and reframe how you either A, talk to yourself, talk to other people, or think about it. And by reframing, it's literally just changing, changing your- Flipping the script. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. my hand here where I'm flipping yeah. things. It's just, it's flipping the script. It's it's looking at it Creating a new narrative. Yeah. Good job. And so this helps- you implement coping strategies so you can empower yourself. So we can explore effective coping strategies for managing RSD. And like just said, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, and DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, are two really, really good therapies to utilize when working through RSD and finding strategies that can work for you. And dialectical behavioral therapy is great because that's where you get like your workbooks, you get your handouts. Mm-hmm. You get I a love lot of that kind of stuff. I love workbooks. I love fill in the blanks. Not everybody does. So I usually ask my clients too, do you love this? Do you want these resources? Is this going to work for you? And so that's important too, to find somebody that hears you and what you like to do and if that therapy would be effective for you. And sometimes I don't give homework most of the time, except for like, actually, I give homework all the time. They just don't realize because I don't call it homework. <laughs> but I want people you to- just outed yourself. I did, I did. I just want people to pay attention to it. Yeah. I really want them to look at mindfulness practices and really look at what it takes to regulate their emotions 
because that's what this really is, is dysregulated emotion and really want them to build in that keyword for us at self-care. Yeah, because then that builds resiliency. So when you have feelings like this, this intense, overwhelming emotions, and you can reach back into those things that you've learned and use them to kind of center yourself, reframe things and walk forward through it, you are giving yourself the power to be resilient and bounce back from it better than before. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a little bit more about why do we see it with ADHD? We see it with autism. And we know we said because the brain structure is different. And really, because those are two conditions to ADHD and autism are diagnosable, right? Mm -hmm. And both of them have dysregulated emotion anyway. Right. And so a lot of times I find people end up with RSD, they become these people pleasers because they're always messing up. Mm-hmm. Messing up with air quotes, guys. Messing right? up, not fitting into a normal, atypical box. You speak out of turn. Oops, sorry. Yeah, you're you awkward. Yeah, you're Oops. awkward in social situations. Like you talk over people. You don't know when to interject, and you're sitting there going, "Do I do it now? Do I say it now? Do I wait? Do yeah, I you're say in your head now? too much, <laughs> right? Or you're trying to come up with a great response." So you can be witty And or then it whatever. never comes or until it's like 1 a.m. in the morning and then you're like, this would have been great in this conversation. Or like Jess, you're 15 years later worried about something you said in a class that nobody remembers. Right. I don't think anybody remembers that. Yeah. I do. And so a, a lot of people have a lot of shame that comes with this. And that's, I think, what I see the most is just this feelings of shame and embarrassment especially when they have been diagnosed late in life. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things too, is that just they get diagnosed late in life like you and I did. And so you've grown up being this, again, awkward person and, and, Like freaks and geeks, you're thinking like, I never fit in, like, I don't understand, like, why? And when you have a neurodivergent diagnosis, you're already usually about 30% behind the curve of what they would say is a typical brain. And so you feel like you're playing catch up even more so when you've been diagnosed late in life. Okay, now I have this understanding, but what do I do with it? And like, how do I catch up with this? Or do I change myself? Like, no, or maybe just giving yourself, allowing yourself to like yourself in a way when you haven't or thought that you didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. And and there's so much grief that goes along with Mm -hmm. getting diagnosed late because you're like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. I wonder if I would have done things differently. Right. Sometimes I want to cry over like my teenage and like youth self thinking, you know, sweet girl, like it's okay that you are this way and like why you hated yourself like so much thinking like you are different when you really weren't. Mm-hmm. I wish they would diagnose RSD. Like I wish we could figure out how to get this as a diagnosis, right? As mm-hmm. like an add-on because right. it explains a lot of people when they read this, they go... Oh, God, that makes sense. I must have RSD. Yeah, it can be confused a lot with like we were talking about borderline and bipolar and stuff like that. But it's so much different because it's like an instant shift. Oh, God. So I had cooked something once. I'm an awful cook, by the way. I'm not awful. (laughs) I am okay. All right. I'm an okay cook. I have some things I can make good. I this didn't was not a good day. I didn't make it good. And my daughter, this is not my shining moment in life, okay? <laughs> she must have been like, oh, six, seven, and my husband was there. We're sitting down, and she says, 
It was like a piece of meat. And she goes, this looks like poop. <laughs> My husband starts laughing, yeah, yeah. right? Because it was funny. Yeah. Now I can laugh at it, right? Right, but then you were just oh like. Oh my God, I got so upset. I took the meat, I threw it away. I, I made that big scene where I'm like, fine. And I just chucked it all. Yeah. And my husband was like, you really? hate me. You hate yes. my cooking. Yes. Everything. Yeah. Yes. And so even now. Feels like a personal attack. It does. And so yeah. even now when he says, I was like, how was dinner? He's like, it was okay. Oh, it's just okay. I feel like he's saying, God, it really sucked. Right. Even though he's not. He's not. It really was just okay. You're perceiving in your head another conversation that isn't actually happening. And it's because we can live in our head a lot with ADHD and neurodivergent thought patterns. And so that's part of the RSD piece of it is is feeling like they're saying it's awful, mm-hmm. right? When really they're just saying it's okay. Right. You know, he just didn't like the green beans with the chicken that I put in. Yeah. And he would have done it differently. And it's, it's not okay. a big deal. It's okay for them to feel that way. But like when you have RSD, sometimes it can feel like a personal attack on your right. whole being. And you're like, fine, you know, <laughs> whatever, I'm done with this. And then you overreact and make a big scene and throw everything away in the trash. Right. Whatever. But... That is part of what RSD is, is it's the big emotions. It's the big, he hates me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes if my spouse is like in a bad mood, right, I'll be like, oh God, did I do something wrong? You take it on as your whole, uh, onto your whole self and it could be nothing that has anything to do with you. No. And the way I tell people and the way I try to look at it myself is that they're grown-ass people, and right. they can tell me if they're upset with something, mm-hmm. is to not assume it's about you. Right. In fact, it's almost like assume it isn't about you unless they say something. Mm-hmm. And that's where reframing and working on your negative self-talk really comes in with RSD and is very important. Mm-hmm. And there is a long way to go with this. There's still a lot more research that needs to be done, a lot more advocacy, and a lot more education. But that's why we want to talk about this topic and get it out there so we can learn more about it, talk more about it. And so more women don't feel alone in these feelings of these intense emotions or outbursts they're having. Well, and men can have it too. Let's just yes. be real. Men mm-hmm. can have this too. Oh yeah, 100%. When, when Randy and I were researching some of this earlier, it was talking about women with RSD and emotional. Yeah. and Like hysteria, like you're hysterical. Right. And so we were kind of cracking up and laughing like, uh-huh, now it's just this. But I think it's going to be something that does come into a diagnosis, just like PMDD, Mm -hmm. premenstrual dysphoria disorder, Mm -hmm. yes, which is the extreme PMS. Right. That just made it into the last DSM diagnosis book date like five years ago. Right. Maybe seven. Yeah, seven years ago. Yeah. Right. And we're going to keep advocating for these type of things that affect both women and men, just so we have it out in the open and... Talking about it helps reduce the stigma around it and helps us promote empathy. And the thing that is really hard with RSD is vulnerability. Right, because when you're a people pleaser, you almost feel like you need to cover up the real you. Or like you said, like you and I grew up with this thinking we didn't fit into a box. And so we've been masking our whole lives. Mm -hmm. So trying to fit ourselves into this space or so everybody likes us instead of just like being like, this is who I am and I'm vulnerable and I'm okay with that. Or this is who I am authentically. And a lot of people are afraid that when they show up as who they are, 
they're not going to be liked. And that's part of RSD as well, mm-hmm. is that you feel like people don't like you. Right. And that's not true, right? It's the narrative, what you are telling yourself. And I still think that sometimes, I mean, I have great friends and people and oh that my God, love me. And people love Randy and they all want to be Randy's friend. And I'm like, everybody hates me. I have no friends. I've never had a friend in my life. I don't even know what friendship is. And I'm just like, okay. I had an event with some of the women here and they're like, is Randy coming? Is Randy coming? Where's Randy? And I was sitting there going, what am I, chocolate? I mean, oh my God, where's Randy? I'm like, Randy, you better show up. You better would, show up to this thing. Yeah, but when you have RSD, you don't think of yourself that way. And so that's why uh, it, this is very much like a perceived thought process mm-hmm. where you're thinking these things, but it's not necessarily true. So that's why it can be so hard to navigate this and understand it and move from feeling shame about it to feeling a strength about it. And one of the things, too, is to work with, if you have a spouse or a friend, explaining what RSD is. And that's the vulnerable piece, is Mm -hmm. explaining it to them and being open about it. Like having these big feelings, and it's okay if you don't know why, you can say, I'm having big feelings, I'm not sure what this is, I need some time to think about this. Right, and this allows us to reclaim those feelings of self-worth so that we're not feeling like so like low and down about ourselves. And we do feel like we belong more when we do have those conversations. And somebody's like, oh my gosh, I feel that way too. Like I didn't know, like, I don't even know how many times Jess and I talk about stuff and then we're like, you're feeling that way too? Oh my gosh, me too. And I mean, we're, we're therapists. Everybody has those feelings of doubt and insecurity, especially as women, especially as older women and stuff too. It feels like, when am I ever going to grow up? You know, but it's like stuff is always rapidly evolving and changing. When are we going to grow up? I don't know. I thought by this age I'd be grown up. I still don't feel grown up. Let me ask my mom (laughs) and she might tell me when I'm going to be grown up. I don't know. But part of it also is saying when somebody says something to you where you feel criticized is being able to tell them, I feel very criticized by that statement. Mm -hmm. And even getting clarification is, is that what's meant Because I know sometimes my husband will give me an opinion. Oh, he'll go, God, that movie's terrible. And I'll take it personal. Because you picked the movie. Because I picked the movie. And and I kind of liked it. I liked the movie. He's like, oh, God, that's a horrible movie. And I was like, no, it's not. So you think I'm a horrible person? Like, do you see how that, when we actually say that out loud and like, like if we would draw a diagram, that wouldn't really add up. But like in our head, it makes sense at the moment or we think it does at the moment. Because it feels like he's criticizing Mm -hmm. me because, yeah, I picked the movie and that's not what's happening. And so, yeah, I mean, so part of this is being able to say, hey, that kind of hurts my feelings. And he's like looking at me like I said the movie sucked. Right. Like what? What? (laughs) And so it is that's where you have to do the reframing and the vulnerability. Ooh, I'm taking this very personal right now. I don't need to take this personal Mm -hmm. and, and talk it through. And understanding that every day is a new day for personal growth and new self-perception about ourselves and being kind to ourselves. And I feel oh. like we we think we should be the same as we were yesterday and we're never going to be that person we were yesterday. And so giving ourselves empathy and room to grow, understand, and change is so important in every aspect, but especially when you have RSD. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and so part of this is If any of this resonates with you, do some research, read about it, talk to your spouse, your partner, your friend, your parent, 
and maybe work through some of this with them, mm-hmm. you know, talk with a therapist who can help you kind of normalize this and learn to do what we call reframing and to catch yourself when you're doing it. Right. Yeah. So you're not alone in nope. these feelings, big or small. And that's what we're here to talk about. All right. We'll catch you guys later. Thanks for listening and normalizing mental health with us. Don't forget to check out our free resources and favorites on our website, unapologeticallyrandyandjess.com. Like and share this episode and tune in next week.